Hello and welcome to the LDS Mission Cast, a podcast to educate and inspire in the great cause of missionary work. This is your host, Nick Galletti. This week's episode is a joint effort with our friend Sean Rapier from the Latter-day Lives podcast. We both interview Darren Smith, a TV and film producer and a fellow sound guy like me. He's also the creator of a unique way missionaries can approach their personal study of the Book of Mormon. In our interview, you will learn about Darren's missionary service, as well as some of the spirit of missionary work that was part of his producing efforts on the TV show Relative Race for BYU. We also talk about his mission experiences in Washington, D.C., and so much more. But I also want to encourage you to go to latterdaylives.com and listen to Sean's interview with Darren. Each and every Monday, Sean starts off your week with a great, uplifting life sketch of different wonderful people who do amazing things and who happen to be members of the church. It's like meet the Mormons in podcast form every week. But Darren tells some different experiences from his life that can also help to serve and inspire you in that interview. So make sure to listen to Sean's interview with Darren at latterdaylives.com. A link to that interview can be found in the show notes for the posting of this episode at ldsmissioncast.com. But following our interview, and speaking of Latter-day Lives, we have a Latter-day Lives segment from Sean Rapier where he talks with another one of his guests, also an awesome interview. His uh, guest is Q. Bryce Randall, who's an editor and TV producer with Disney and worked on other shows like Yo Gabba Gabba, worked on the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, and so much more. Anyway, Bryce Randall's full interview with Sean can also be found at latterdaylives.com. It's pretty amazing, but... Before we get to that Latter-day Live segment, again, we're going to hear from our interview, Darren Smith. Our guest on this episode is Darren Smith, who has a couple interesting projects that I think you guys are going to be interested in learning about and has some good stories and some suggestions for those that are preparing and also serving a mission. His name is Darren Smith, and he's a TV and film producer who was currently working on the Relative Race show that uh, BYU TV is putting out. So welcome, Darren, to LDS Mission Cast. Thank you so much, Nick. It's great to be here, and I'm just excited. This is a uh one of the first podcast interviews I've ever done. And so <laughs> I actually ran a podcast for a while, but uh, me and my buddy, I don't I don't know if I could call it interviewing each other. We were just talking. Just talking, conversation, that works. You know, two white guys talking for an hour about <laughs> movies who's, you know, never seen that before. That's what the but... podcast format is for. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you, uh, you're a TV producer, but uh, let's get to a little bit back before that. You are a return missionary. Where did you serve? I am. I served in the best mission in the world, Washington, D.C. North Mission, uh, which had D.C. and the five surrounding counties in Maryland. So I served about six months inside D.C., and the rest of my mission was outside of D.C. Did you track t- into any notable politicians? Can't say that I did. Uh, we did have in our in my last ward, Senator Smith from Oregon was uh, in the ward when he was in town. Okay, but uh, you know, good chunk of the time he was not attending church because he was either at home or or working or traveling. Or oh, something they're all like over that. the but, place. Yeah, but yeah. That's an interesting environment to serve a mission. Now, you, you of course, say that it's the best mission in the world. Everybody does. <laughs> but what about that mission in particular was so memorable and, and so amazing for you? Uh, there's a lot of memorable parts. Uh, the first 18 months of my mission was on a bike, 
And so okay. day one, my trainer, uh, Jake Featherstone, shout out to him. He's just still a good buddy of mine, despite this story. Uh, the first <laughs> day out, uh, he said, hey, we got to hop on our bikes and we got to ride to the edge of our, uh, a- our area to go and you know help this woman out. So we hop on our bikes and I didn't know how big our area was. Uh, 14 miles later, wow. riding our bikes through negative 14 degree weather, if you include the wind chill, it was sleeting ice and rain and snow. And we got to the address and my, you know, I came out, I thought prepared, but I basically <laughs> had like a trench coat, like a thin trench coat. Okay. So I didn't have winter gear I didn't have anything to cover my pants or my shoes, so I was drenched and freezing because it was so cold. So we got out to the edge of our area, and we stopped in front of this woman's house, the sister's house, and I remember I could not get my hands to pry off the handlebars. They were frozen around the handlebars, (laughs) and I had, again, thin gloves as well. They were like driver's gloves or something. So he helps me get out there and helps me pry my fingers off of my handlebars and I'm sitting there shivering. He goes, so how's your first day going? And I say, it's, it's great. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's, this sucks. <laughs> like five minutes in on my first day and I'm just like, I can't believe what I just got myself into. Yeah. But memorable wise, that's probably the one that stands out the most. But the thing I loved about the mission uh, there's a couple of things actually. Did you say that's not a selling point. That's right? not a selling point. <laughs> Welcome to DC. Now yeah. freeze your your tush off. Um, the thing that I loved the most was how diverse it was. Okay. And there were areas that I would serve in where literally on a, a floor of an apartment building, there's four apartments, and you would talk with a, a family from China, a family from Africa, a family from South America, and a family who's been there their whole life. And just the diversity. I mean, I got to the point where I could deliver a door approach in like five different languages, including sign language. Really? Because the, I forget the name of the college there, but it's the, it's a famous college or like the biggest college for uh, deaf students. Oh, Right yeah, there in know. D.C. And so there was, you know, sign language mission. There were missionaries that were sign language speaking, I should say. And, you were English uh, speaking though? I was English speaking, yeah. I was kind of wanting to go to like Paris, France or something because sure, I served or I served I spoke French or learned French in high school. Okay. Um, but I was not down. I was just very excited to go to DC, the nation's capital. And it was just a very eye-opening experience. I saw extreme poverty. I was when I was in DC, I was in a very bad part of DC and we saw stuff that, you know, I probably shouldn't even talk about here on the podcast. <laughs> Um, but the amount of humility that I saw was very, uh, educational and it really set the perspective for my life in a different direction, or I should say it really expanded the perspective that I saw life through. That kind of almost feeds a little bit into what you're doing with this TV show. Absolutely. So in what ways, for those that don't know what relative race is, give the concept and then maybe say how your, your kind of mission experience played into yeah, that sure show. Yeah, sure so relative race is very similar to the, the conceit or the concept of the amazing race where you've got four teams of two. Uh, generally, they're family members, uh, you know, husband and wife or brother and sister or father, son. And they go on a 10-day race across America. They hit a different city every day. And their goal, however, on relative race is to meet and find relatives that they've either been looking for their whole lives or didn't know existed. This is based on DNA, right? This is based on DNA, but also 
you know, with season three and now season four, which is the season I came on for, we just shot here in May, we are really actively looking to find some great stories. And so a lot of those come from adoption, from being in the foster system, from, you know, people who have been looking for their parents and their siblings for their whole lives. Rebecca Hoyt from season uh, three, uh, her and her husband won. It's not a spoiler because it's been out. So, yeah. <laughs> um, But she, you know, had been looking for her sister and for aunts and uncles her whole life. And, you know, the incredible reunions that we saw on the show is really what it's about. It's about reuniting family. So it's been an incredible experience for me. I came on the show as a story producer or as a senior producer back in January in prep for season four. And we just filmed, like I said, back in May for about two weeks. How did your mission then inform your the way that you produce this or your interest in it even? Well, the thing that shocked me the most, I, I come from a film producing background and a commercial production background, not TV. And so I really never thought I was going to get into reality TV, let alone TV. But I took the gig because I felt inspired, felt like it was the right move. Uh, a, a couple of things in my life had kind of transpired in the previous months. And I was like, okay, this is this is a sign. This is, I'm being guided here. So need to take this gig. The thing I was not prepared for was how much of a spiritual experience it was going to be. I was just blown away by this fact. And it really, I think I was even mentioning to you as we were kind of chatting back and forth that there was, it was reminiscent of my mission as far as the level of these spiritual experiences in my life. I'm, I'm going to try to talk in as vague of terms as possible because the season four this. doesn't air until the fall. Uh, we don't even know when it's going to air in the fall yet. So, But what I can say is that, for example, uh, the, the, the most direct connection, I should say, is when I left my mission, I was serving in the Bethesda ward. And it was just a very strong ward with some incredible people. Bill Marriott is in that ward, like the guy who started Marriott, Marriott Hotels. Hotels. We d- we had Christmas dinner at his house. Like he was incredible with the missionaries. We had senators, we had politicians, we had owners of Fortune 500 companies. It, I mean, it's an incredible ward, very different from being in D.C. And when I left, the ward mission leader, his name's Kerry Harding, he's uh, still a good friend of mine, he asked me as a missionary, we were the first two elders under his guard, so to speak. He had just recently been called when we came into the ward. He asked if I would kind of leave a parting testimony in the, you know, in the ward program. Hmm, okay. every, every Sunday he would do a missionary moment or like he'd put an insert in the program and talk about missionary work in the ward. And so he asked if I would write up a, uh, a parting testimony. And the thing I remember most about that, that I keep referring to throughout my whole life, the thing I learned was how much God loves his children. And the thing that was just completely apparent to me throughout my entire mission was that this is God's work and I'm just lucky to be a part of it. There were moments where I would feel God's love for a sister or a brother that I was baptizing, that I was teaching, that I met on the street. Like there were days where I would literally meet a stranger and have this feeling come over me that this is a very special son or daughter of God. And what happened on the road when I was filming for Relative Race season four is the team that I got, I felt the exact same way about these contestants and their search for their family. And it was a daily and intense feeling that I was getting from the Holy Ghost. It reminded me of how I felt on the mission, and then it made me really grateful that I went through that experience on my mission so that I understood 
what this was, what this feeling was, what this inspiration was, what these thoughts were. It wasn't anything else. It was literally God giving me an impression, a feeling, an understanding of his love for someone else. And that that's the kind of love we should aspire to have in our lives for everybody. Yeah. I want to say it was a life-changing experience. How many times can you have life-changing experiences in your (laughs) life? But really more than that, it seems like God uh, blesses us with the opportunity to learn the same lessons over and over when we need to. And I'm just grateful for that. It was such an incredible experience. Now, we're talking about a TV show that was not (laughs) designed to be a missionary (laughs) thing. Right. But yet it, it has a, a feel of that in a sense because you are you're bringing families together. And that, that is what the gospel is. Yeah. I mean, we are literally participating in the work of the Lord in bringing families together, turning hearts of children to their fathers, which we know is a big part of the restoration of the gospel. Yeah. There's not a lot of LDS people on the staff or the crew at the production company I work with, which is called Lensworks here in Salt Lake. But the owner, Dan, is a member of the church. And it was so, I was so grateful to be able to text him every day and share these spiritual experiences from the road. Whereas the rest of the time I'm giving updates as to how they did in their challenge and they got lost today and those kind of things, (laughs) which are just kind of surface level, but at a deeper level, you know, my, my genealogist that I worked with, her name's April Cox, and she was an incredible inspirational force there. And I, I was so grateful to have Dan and April that I could text every day and give them updates on the spiritual experience that I was having as well as it was a very fulfilling, you know, career experience as well. Like I didn't realize getting into reality TV that I would have so much fun with this great crew, uh, being on the road, you know, even though it's 16, 17 hour days, even though Sometimes you don't have dinner until 11 o'clock at night. Even though there's stuff that happens that you wish never happened, you can still come out of it going, man, that was just awesome. Because it feels so good to be on set doing what you love as a filmmaker. But the spiritual aspect, you know, a hundred times anything I got from the the career side, it was so fulfilling. Yeah. So you had these daily experiences that you talked about sharing and that kind of bridges over to what you're doing with Daily Mormon email. Yeah. So tell us about this project that you're doing and how missionaries might even be able to take advantage of it. Absolutely. So I'll give a little bit of backstory to it because it's not something I ever planned on doing or intended on doing. Sure. I, didn't, I never set out to be someone who was writing about the Book of Mormon every day, but that's what I've been doing the last year. I serve currently and have for the last two and a half or so years as the gospel doctrine teacher in my ward. And in 2016, we taught Book of Mormon. And at the end of 2016, I had this, you know, now that I look back on it, probably irrational fear, but I had this real fear that me and the class were just going to stop reading the Book of Mormon as soon as we transitioned into teaching curriculum of, of Doctrine and Covenants in 2017. And so I committed to myself initially, I was going to, January 1st, I'm going to start reading through the Book of Mormon again. As I'm studying and teaching Doctrine and Covenants, I'm not going to let up on my Book of Mormon study. Throughout the course of 2016, teaching the Book of Mormon, I noticed that there were these verses that I call statement verses that were just like blanket statement or very clear, concise statements that were about the gospel. If you do this, then this will happen. If you repent, you will be blessed, for example. And I just remember teaching those and seeing them pop up. And I was like, I'm going to go through the Book of Mormon this time and find as many of those verses as I can. So I bought a new, I went to the BYU bookstore and everybody looked at me weird because I have a little bit of of beard. (laughs) 
and I'm 34 and people are like, what's he doing here? But I went to the BYU bookstore and I bought a brand new like paperback $2 copy of the Book of Mormon and a blue highlighter and I went through the Book of Mormon every day and it, you know, I'd read in the mornings for like a half hour and I would just highlight the verses that I found. It wasn't a thorough or meticulous study of the Book of Mormon. It was just for my own gratification. I got to the end after about three months of of reading through. So it was like March or April of of last year, 2017. And I went through, and because I'm a very analytical person, I love spreadsheets, I went through and found my writing program. I just started typing in all of the verses because I wanted to kind of codify them and categorize them and see what I found. And after about a month of doing that, I realized there were over 300 verses that I had highlighted, which blew me away. And that there were over 36 or 37 different keywords that I had applied to these different verses. As I was just kind of this one morning, it was like April or May of last year, I started realizing that there's more here than I realized just from highlighting these verses. And I need to dig a little deeper. And so I, I set out not with the intention of any project or outcome. I just was doing it for myself. But within about a week, I had this impression that I needed to write a book. And I had written a book before. It was about film sound. So, And I've written a blog for a decade or whatever, and nobody's heard of it. And so there's four people who read it. <laughs> but I have some writing skill. I've written screenplays, sure. and that's part of my skill set as a, a filmmaker. So I th- was like, okay, I'm going to start researching this as if I'm going to write a book. But then I realized this is something I need to start sharing right now. And I don't know if I realized it. It was probably more of an impression that I got. But um, I realized I had about 330 or so verses or passages that I'd highlighted. So why not just put out one a day with a little bit of context or commentary for me and then some a question or two to ponder? And I figured what that would do is to help people that, like myself, just a few years ago, were not reading the Book of Mormon actively. We're not doing 30 minutes a day. We're not constantly pondering the gospel and and strengthening our relationship with the Holy Ghost and with our Heavenly Father, what if I just shared it as a very accessible way of studying the scriptures? Like the quick pitch is get your daily study in in two minutes. You know, it's a quick email, open it up, read through it, and then you've got some stuff to start your day out the right way. That was kind of the impetus of it. I have been writing it for nearly a year now. It's been about 11 months and I just passed, hit email 335. And as I was kind of reaching the end of the verses that I had highlighted and running out of content for this daily email that I was sending out, I realized that it would be very easy for me to just kind of put it into book form and put it out that way so that it kind of could last forever, so to speak. So that that's the project. But to answer your other question of why it would be helpful, I had no idea how this was going to impact people, if it was even going to reach people. I sent it out to about 100 friends. I went on Facebook Messenger and copy-pasted the same thing to about you know, 100 people, and maybe 30 of them signed up for the email. And I was like, great. I'm fine with it being that. 30 people, my close friends and family, I'm studying the gospel. They're reading the studying the gospel. It helps. Within a month, it had grown to 150 people. Within two months, it was at 300, and then 450, and then 500, and then— And it just was growing organically because people were sharing it with their friends and putting it on Facebook. Then I started getting one or two emails a week from readers saying, thank you for this. This has been helping me. I never never study the gospel, but this has been helping me form a habit. 
And then then it was turning into an email a day, and two emails a day from readers saying how it's helping them, and then starting to get conversations going about yeah. what what today's topic was, and it grew and grew and grew. And so I started sharing it more specifically with people and people I would meet on the street, and they'd go, "Hey, you know, yeah, I'm LDS too." Or I'd meet them in church, and I'd say, "Hey, you should check out this thing I've been writing." And then people will started sharing it with their missionaries or with people that were preparing for missions. And I realized, oh my gosh, I have all these cousins and I have a stepbrother that is getting ready to serve a mission. I'm going to send it to him. That's where it really, that's where I realized the kind of impact it could have is I remember myself at that age, 17, 18, trying to prepare for a mission. And I didn't have a deep understanding of the, the gospel or of the Book of Mormon, but what these da- what these verses that I highlighted teach is the gospel in verse-by-verse verse form. And these missionaries started responding to me and saying, thank you for this. It's helped me understand the thing that I'm, this book that I'm going out and teaching. Yeah. And it's accelerated. There was one elder who sent me a message and said, this has accelerated my testimony of the Book of Mormon. And I was just blown away by that. That's an interesting way to describe it. Yeah. An accelerated I, I, testimony. Yeah, because it's a process for all of us. You know, sure. we, we have a testimony, but then we can grow that the rest of our lives. And it became, becomes something we never knew or expected that it could become. And I think that's kind of what he was stating is that when you go on a mission, it's a humbling experience from day one, as kind of yeah, I shared. Absolutely. <laughs> and you start feeling the pressure of the expectations of you from your companion, from your leaders, from your parents at home, from your friends, from the church at large. There's a lot of expectations put on you. And if you feel unprepared, if you, if you have any sense of fear or that you're not worthy, that you're not capable, that's a, not only a very limiting belief, but it's something that could really impede the work from what I've gathered from the scriptures is that those things don't come from God. Those feelings, those thoughts, they come from the adversary. And it's one of his ways of getting elders and and sisters to be less effective. Yeah. So So how do people find this? How do people find it? It's very simple and it's free. It's online. You can go to dailymormon.email. It's not dailymormon.com. That's another friend of mine. (laughs) But dailymormon.email. And it's a very simple sign-up. You put in your email address. The first email shows up in your inbox. And every day, you know, in the morning before you wake up, it's right there waiting for you. So whether you get up at 5 or 10, it's right there. So when people sign up for this, it doesn't matter when they sign up. It starts them at number one. Exactly. And that was a very strategic uh, thing that I did because I didn't want it to just be a blog where if you stumbled across it 10 years later, you'd have to start and find email number one and put them in order. So even though I've actually completed and finished, I'm no longer writing daily emails. If you sign up today, you will get email number one, which starts in First Nephi, and there will be an email in your inbox every day for the next 335 days. And then at any point, whether it's right off the bat or at the end, you can actually get the book. There's now a book that's available, which you just go to dailymormonbook.com, and you can get it there as well. Awesome. So we'll have links to both of those in the show notes for this episode at LDS Mission Cast. And uh, maybe we'll put up a link later on <laughs> on social when season four comes out. That would be awesome. And have people check that out as well. And thank you again for coming in and sharing your mission stories, how it's impacted you, how your career is still even kind of missionary oriented, and how's, how's that feeling? Because one of the things that I love to share with people with on this podcast 
is just how much your mission can impact your life yeah. in so many different ways. And, and there's so many rich blessings to continue in missionary work. Absolutely. So thank you again for, for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me. Here now is the Latter-day Life segment with Sean Rapier and his guest, Q. Bryce Randall. And from the Latter-day Lives podcast, this is Sean Rapier again for LDS Mission Cast. And my guest this week is a very well-known Hollywood editor. He works for... <laughs> You can't laugh at that. You are, Bryce. Uh, he In the tight-niche community of... He, he no. works for Disney Animation, and he has worked on Pirates of the Caribbean and on Tron Uprising and Yo Gabba Gabba and so many big projects that you know. Bryce Randall is my guest. Bryce, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. So Bryce has a great mission experience to share with us. Bryce? I do. I, I went to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and before I left, I'm a, I'm a huge U2 fan. I believe oh, yeah. that you are. As, I'm a big as YouTube well. fan, also. Yes. And so I had gotten for Christmas a live in Boston DVD, nice. and yeah. I had figured out how to rip the audio off of the DVD, like right when this was all coming out. This is 2001. Yeah. So this was like you're, I was pretty hot. You're I, using zero burn. Right. Right. Yeah. I was doing yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I don't know what I'm doing, sure. but it works. And I pulled off where the street they play Bad Forty, where the streets have no name. Yeah. And right before. Where the streets of no name starts, and they're playing, you know, forties going on. Bono says, "What can I give back to God for the blessings that He's poured out on me?" Mm. And as I'm driving, and I have my mission call to Rio, I'm driving, and I'm blasting this, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go give back <laughs> to Heavenly Father. Like this is what it's about, man." And so, you know, that's what you feel like things yeah, about. I had a great testimony as a, you know, but but you know, you're in your mission. Fast forward 14 months, and I'm like. I'm training. I'd gone from junior companion to trainer district leader. Yeah. And I was like, this is tough. It's hard. You yeah. hit the wall sometimes. And uh, and you know what? This is actually right before that happened. This mm. is just before I felt like that was part of the payoff. Yeah. And I was with a companion that, you know, we were in this new area and it was called Amapa. And it was just outside of another st- suburb of Rio called Dukijikaishias. Oof, so wow. just very, it's in the, like basically there's Rio that's super nice and yeah. you go inland and the elevation goes down. So all the trash of Rio goes to this neighborhood. Yeah. So we were tracting in a very, uh, an area that hadn't seen a lot of missionaries before. It was very like grassland, farmland. And we just weren't happy. It was one of those Saturdays where you have a full schedule and everything falls through. Oh, I hate that. And then it starts raining oh. and then it goes back <laughs> and it's 95 degrees. Oh. And you're just like... I know what I'm doing. I like. I was probably my biggest moment of, what am I doing here? Yeah. You know, when you will have those dark moments of. Yeah, sure. And like wanting to kind of cry. I've been there. And so we're walking and we're walking around the mud that's now been created from the rain. Sure. And now it's sunny and we're getting sunburned and the bugs are out because it's all humid. And as I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, this I know that this is true because... And you start to lean on the testimonies of other people that, like, you're so weak and frail at that point. And I just kind of, like, kind of half prayed. And I was like, I just need, like, a boost. Something. And I heard, in Brazil, they play all funk music. 
And it's like, it's, or they play like Bossa Nova. Yeah. Or they're like, every fifth house is a bar in some areas. <laughs> and so there's pool tables. There's like funk music yeah. playing. And there's like dumb funk music that's like, the book is on the table. Like they take these like how to learn English things and they go, <laughs> and, and so it's just like horrible stuff. Nothing that you want to like, you know, anybody who's been yeah. to Brazil will know like what. That's funny. And so as I'm walking, I hear this familiar hum. Mm. And I'm like, tell my companion, I was like, let's, let's go this way. And I heard it and I was like, what is that note? And I got closer and where the streets of no name came on. Awesome. And this is how I have a testimony of the Lord speaks to us in different ways. And it's a very cheesy story because if you had been in the car with me doing that, you know, you still might not have that same connection, but I believe that the way that the Lord communicates with us is very personal. And so a very personal response to my prayer was, and it took me all the way back to driving down and listening to that. What can I give back to God for the blessings he's poured out on me? And that gave me such a strong boost that I needed. So it's very, it's very silly. It just, it can be very silly, silly. No, but it's very personal. Personal. He knows us. And so every time I go see, I start crying as I hear, as that song comes on the radio, because I feel that same. It's a very emotional song. Yeah, it's it a is. Beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful. But I remember being a defeated twenty-year-old missionary and pushing on. And the next six months were the best oh. of my mission. Bryce, that is awesome. Anyway, so I will never hear that song the same way again. I will always think of you. But I believe that the Lord knows what we need in that moment, and that was what you needed. It was. Phenomenal story. Thank you so much. You can check out uh, Bryce's full interview on uh, the Latter-day Lives podcast. And uh, thanks so much for sharing that story for LDS Mission Cast. I'm Sean Rapier. One of the overarching themes of this podcast, I hope, is that there are so many ways that we can do and support missionary work all around us, no matter where we're at in the world or where we're at in life. A few years back now, President Monson lowered the age that missionaries can go out and serve in the mission field, and I believe it was the following general conference that he had a call to support this huge surge in missionaries going out into the field. He invited members to donate financially to the missionary program of the church as there was this demand for resources to support that surge. Like some of you, I felt the desire to heed the prophet's call to action, but I'm not a wealthy man. I'm grateful to provide what I do for my family, but that leaves me with almost nothing left each month. So in order to do what I could to sustain the prophet, as I was sitting in general conference, literally in the middle of the session, I had the idea to write a book, to get others to help write a book that we could sell and then use the proceeds of that to donate to the missionary program of the church. So we did. I started emailing some of these people, and uh, they all decided to contribute something to the book. And it took a couple years to come out due to editing and a few other little fun challenges that happen in publishing a book. But it's out, and I wanted to bring it to everyone's attention, as all the proceeds go to the missionary program of the church, and we're all about supporting missionary work here at LDS Mission Cast. This book is called DNC4, A Lifetime of Study in Discipleship. This book features short essays from a number of scholars, historians, even my bishop at the time has an essay in there, uh, an addiction recovery missionary wrote in there, 
There's tons of different types of content in there. We all have different ways to approach section four of the DNC. There's some great insights there that I promise you won't find anywhere else. And while it's just seven short verses, President Joseph Fielding Smith said that section four contains sufficient counsel and instruction for a lifetime of study. It is as broad, as high, and as deep as eternity. With that in mind, each essay tackles a different approach to those seven verses. There was DNC4 and the Relief Society, DNC4 and the family. There's even an essay applying the lessons in DNC4 to addiction recovery and drawing the parallels between there. There's another one about the connections between DNC4 scripturally and the Beatitudes. There's over 200 pages on these seven verses of scripture, including the most in-depth history on the section ever written by Russell Stevenson. I think there's 20 pages just on the historical background of DNC4. Russell Stevenson, you might remember, is a previous guest on our Race and the Priesthood episode. For more information or to buy a copy of this book, visit the number 4behold.org. We'll have a link to that also in the show notes of the posting for this episode. We've got a lot of links to check out, so make sure you go to the posting for this episode specifically. There's tons of links to check out. I even wrote a verse-by-verse in-depth commentary on Section 4 that's included in that book. So remember, it makes for a great gift for missionaries preparing to serve on a mission or even someone that's come home. There's so much in this section that we may not initially realize, and I hope you decide to check it out and support the missionary program in the meantime. I also want to thank Sean Rapier for his regular contributions to the podcast, and I do hope you go check out his interview that he does with Darren, as well as all the other wonderful interviews that he does at LatterdayLives.com. The Latterday Lives podcast can be found anywhere uh, that you find this podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, but make sure to follow up with uh, Latter-day Lives on Facebook and Instagram because Sean is doing a giveaway of Darren's book, the one he talked about in our interview and in his interview, this collection of all his daily Book of Mormon emails in one volume. It's free, so go to those pages, like Latter-day Lives podcast, and links to those will also be provided in our very link-heavy show notes for this episode. So stay tuned, and thank you so much for listening to this episode and all other episodes of the LDS Mission Cast.